Welcome back to iGen Politics. This is a podcast that makes politics engaging and relevant for all generations. This is Victor Shi. And I'm Jill Wine-Banks. And today's hashtag, Jill's Pin, is a microphone. Because, because of the absence of a microphone, a bullhorn was used in Tennessee and led to the expulsion of three of the members of the legislature. And today's episode is going to be a very exciting one that you're definitely going to enjoy because it's with one of the Tennessee three. It is Representative Gloria Johnson, who I am sure everyone listening and watching knows is one of the three who was elected to the Tennessee House as a former teacher, rose to national prominence in a few weeks ago because she was voted to be expelled from the House. Uh, but missed being voted by one vote. She stayed in the House while her two colleagues were expelled. It is going to be a very exciting discussion. And uh, Representative Johnson, we are so thrilled to have you as our guest today. Thank you so much for being here. No, well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. We're it so is, thrilled. Yeah. Go ahead, Victor. Okay, so we're coming to you one day after Justin Jones, who was expelled last week, along with Justin Pearson, was um, renominated and seated back in the uh, Tennessee Assembly. Um, you've been with Justin every step along the way, and literally, as he walked onto the House floor yesterday, you stood right behind him, uh, right by uh, his side. It was such a powerful image. I I'm wondering, just as a first question, tell us what led up to kind of that moment of you taking the podium, and was there any alternative to you being heard? That, that that Thursday morning when we went to the well, is that what you're yeah. referring to? Yes. Yeah. 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 You know, we tried, we typically have this welcoming and honoring in the morning. And so I was going to welcome and honor people new who were in the crowd there to protest and to beg this body to listen to them about gun reform issues. And so we were planning on speaking up there. Um, and, and then we talked about, well, if they, if they won't let us speak at that point, when we're speaking on a bill, maybe we'll add it to the end of that, but we kept getting gaveled down. Um, and this happens often for, for us as the minority party. And so we finally were frustrated. There was a bill, a voucher bill. I'm, as an educator, I'm ad adamantly opposed to public schools being, uh, they're having their money siphoned off to go to private schools. And so, I really was passionate about speaking on that bill and I was not called on. And it was very clear that our voices were being silenced and we made the decision right there to, to go to the well between bills. Um, one member had just finished his bill and before the other member walked up, we walked to the podium and started to speak. And as I understand it, the rules say that you have to be called on. And so was that, the issue because now they're saying no it's decorum even though i i personally don't believe anything that they're saying but what do you think led to them taking such harsh action the, you know they're making it up as they go along that's that's what's happening we were we spoke on the microphone for about 15 seconds before the speaker cut the microphone we're used to getting our microphones cut the speaker cut the microphone after about 15 seconds and called a recess so everything that came after that, getting out the uh, the handheld little miniature bullhorn, um, that came after the speaker called for recess. 
and we were probably up there another five minutes during recess. And, um, you know, if you look on the video camera from the floor, it looked like any recess we ever had where members were just milling around, they were talking, everybody's chatting with different groups, except for the fact that the three of us were up front and that there was a chant between the people in the gallery and us. And so um, it was just remarkable to me that it went to, they took it to expulsion. You know, because first that night when I went to dinner, I went to dinner with Justin Jones and we came back and I could not get in the garage. They had cut my pass to the garage and Justin's car was in the garage. So we had to go around until we could find someone from security to let us in. And so then the next day I realized that, well, my pass is cut as well to the member elevators and to get into the building and all of these things. And so we couldn't move between our car. One night, my medicine was in my car. I couldn't get to my car to get my medicine because I stopped at Walgreens before I went to work. Oh, you know, no. Just outrageous. Oh. Then we come in Monday, and an hour before our committee starts, we get notified we're short of our committees. And we think, okay, maybe wow. that's the punishment, you know? Then a few hours later, we're walking to the house floor and we find out they filed a resolution to expel all of us. And you didn't and get any warning of this, did you? None of it. None of it. Oh, no wow. warning. And it's such a um, broader issue. And we are going to get to that broader issue because I watched you being interviewed on, on News Channel 5 uh, about what I would consider to be the general uh, rules and mismanagement of the Tennessee House. But let's, if we can, let's just stick with this first, because uh, of course the vote was taken, you were not expelled and representatives Jones and Pearson were. Um, You've said the color of your skin was the difference between the expulsion. Uh, Representative Jones is now back in the house. He was reappointed. He'll have to run in a special election, which of course I assume is gonna cost some money. Uh, So that's unfortunate. But he really gave a very moving and memorable and positive uh, speech on his return to office. He's become, I think, a bright star of the Democratic Party and um, being recognized as a great orator. Um, But one of the things he said I want to talk about was he talked about holding the House Speaker accountable. And what might that look like? What would be accountability for someone who does what he led? Well, you know, Justin has called for the speaker to resign and, you know, I, I co-sign, I'm right there with him. I think that this was so blatant. I mean, we went so far as to, um, I had representation and um, the, the two young Justins declined having represent, representation there that day, but I'm telling you, they can re- represent themselves well. There's no question. Um, they're so fabulous. And um, mine asked if we could submit video for this hearing. And they said, absolutely not. And then um, we get in there and they say, we've got this video. And we said, excuse me, you haven't shown the video to us. We don't know who filmed it. We don't know how it was edited. You know, you didn't give it to us to review. 
but with their super majority vote, they easily did to admit their their video. And was and it, it was edited good. unfairly? Absolutely. They said it was only from that day on the House floor. And it was not. It was also from the next day from a press conference, I believe, that we gave. So they wow. lied even about the video that they were submitting. And, and that's what the speaker went on Fox News National. He also went on um, a radio station. First thing he did was get on a radio station in Knoxville where I'm from, and um, say that he was afraid for his life and that it was as bad as January 6th, if not worse. And that is outrageously ridiculous. Our Tennessee Highway Patrol verified there was no skirmish, there was no damage, no one was hurt, no one was arrested, none of those things. And then he tried to walk it back, tried to say, that, oh, I was referring to the three members that was the insurrection. And that's not what he said on Fox News because he said the people were about, were storming the chambers. Absolutely never, ever happened. Because if it did happen, I'm certain there were cameras on them at all times. And that's the video they would have shown. But it absolutely didn't happen. They're conflating a skirmish in front of a bathroom with a couple of teenagers and making that video look, you know, so extreme. But the troopers didn't even consider that an issue. And so uh, what they're showing to the people, and then I don't know if you've heard about it, but one of the biggest progressive voices across the state, Justin Canoe, who does the Tennessee Holler, you know, um, his house was, uh, a couple nights after the speaker got on TV and said that his house was shot and bullets, uh, you know, went into his house in the middle of the night. He's all right, I hope. Oh, my God. They're they're all okay. But, I mean, those that type of rhetoric that insinuates that there was some type of violence done is just, it's outrageous. It's a lie. And this is what it caused. We were there to stop violence. Yes. They are the ones that are creating this um, idea. There was type of violence there. You know, there are people calling my office, you know, saying I should go to Gitmo and things like this just because of the way they're hearing it, which has no basis in fact whatsoever. And have your committee assignments been return to you or are you still without committees? No, I was actually last night before when they reinstated Representative Jones, they also gave me back my committees. Interesting thing though, they did not give Justin back his committees. And the speaker's reasoning was because, well, you were expelled and appointed. And if you're appointed, you don't get your committees However, I can name about three to five of the last appointed members who all got their committees. So again, we've got another, I think the speaker has the ability to do that, but it's my knowledge has never been done before. Wow. It sounds like a civil rights case for the department of justice to bring because it does seem to be an unconscionable thing. Um, It's, I, I'm I'm like constantly amazed at how low this 
has gone. Um, and obviously the reason for the expulsion is a pretext of you speaking out on behalf of your constituents, for all of you. Mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, you were doing something on an issue that mattered to people who were in the room with you and they were there for that reason. So um, I guess that leads us to ask about what can be done on the issue of gun, common sense gun protections? What would make Republicans feel differently about the issue? I mean, obviously the shooting in your state, the shooting in your neighboring state, Kentucky, um, has not apparently changed anybody's mind, but is there some way to change the views? I, I hope there is. I hope they will listen. Listen to these parents, listen to these children. You know, this generation has grown up with the reality of gun, gun violence in their classrooms. I grew up years ago, I was in school, and no one even thought there was a, wasn't in your head at all. And so as a teacher, you know, I was teaching at Central High School in Knoxville when we had a shooting at our school. So I've seen it. I've seen the trauma. I've seen the kids just, you know, I just remember, I'll never forget that morning. I'm sitting in my classroom, preparing my classroom. They're all having lunch, having breakfast in the cafeteria before the bell. And I look out the window and there's just all these kids running down the hill, screaming, crying. It's a few minutes before they can compose themselves when they get in my room to tell me what's happened. And that sort of trauma for staff, for kids, for parents, no one should ever, ever, ever have to go through that again, especially when we can do something about it. I brought a red flag law twice. I brought uh, safe storage laws twice. Um, and they've all been killed in subcommittee party line vote. It's, it's just, it's remarkable. But it seems wow. like the governor might be stepping out of line with, with the body and talking about, he did an executive order on background checks and he says he wants the legislature to pursue red flag laws. Uh, I hope they do. I, I will work with anybody to get something passed. Um, I'm just sure they're on board with where the governor is. Those are some very smart and positive steps that might be taken in terms of getting some protection against what's happening. Uh, the number of gun cases every year, I mean, we're at over 130, I think, of mass shootings where four or more people are killed. And something has to be done. I mean, that's, uh, it, it's just amazing. But I think, Victor, you said you wanted to ask a question now? Well, I mean, we, we talked about Justin Jones and Justin Pearson and just how amazing they are. And I mean, I, I can't get over the fact first that they're two black members of the Tennessee state legislature, but they're also among the youngest members of the Tennessee state legislature. And I, I think part of kind of what Republicans have been unleashing um, over these past few days is just this kind of spark in young people and Gen Z. And I'm wondering kind of how you see what happened um, last week and what's happening now in terms of sparking this movement um, specifically among young people. They're, they're so brilliant, they're so passionate, and they really can hone in on the moment and they can hone in on the issue and really just get down to what matters so well. And, you know, I'm, I've worked with Justin for several years. When he first was, he was a student at Fisk, and he was here fighting for them to use state IDs for voting because they were, we don't allow it. A, a 
college ID for voting, even though the same machine prints out professors' IDs, which they can use to vote. They don't allow mm. students to use that yes. ID. Wow. Justin wow. been fighting that, you know, for 10 years since he was a student. And then I was very involved with Justin with the uh, fight to expand Medicaid because we are a state that did not expand Medicaid. And I've been working with Justin for years on that as well. And then I worked with him on the, um, the people's protest where they occupied the plaza for about 62 days in um, response to um, better policing laws after George Floyd. And also because we had a bust of Nathan Bedford Forrest, the first KKK Grand Wizard uh, murderer of uh, soldiers who were retired, who were um, turning themselves in, murdered 300 soldiers who were black in the Civil War, and made his millions off of the slave trade. That that bust sat in our Capitol in a place of honor, and all the senators and legislators uh, had to walk past that to go into. Um, to go into our chambers and, and the idea of our black members, especially having to walk underneath that bust every day to go to session was just mm. so hurtful. It, yeah. It's remarkable. We finally got that bust removed from the Capitol. I mean, it's and young Justin, people in office. Yeah, it was Justin and other people, young people who led that protest. And I spent a lot of time down there visiting with them and talking with them. Has any Republican um, offered any apology to Justin Jones or Justin Pearson that you know of? I don't, I can't speak for them, but I, not that I know of. They have not. I know he ran into the member in the elevator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, there, not, not much was said. Let me just say that. Well, you have certainly been a great ally throughout this whole episode. And uh, from what you're saying now for many years, prior to that. Um, and I think one of the things that people are always anxious to know about is how to be a good ally yeah. and what you can do and how to develop the kind of relationship where you can be an honest and helpful person. Can you talk about that? I think that would be very interesting. Yeah, you just, you've got to reach out. Like I said, I've known Justin for a while. And now Justin Pearson, I heard about him because I knew about the pipeline protest in Memphis. But that's really far. I'm in Knoxville. He, I'm in East Tennessee. He's in West Tennessee. I heard great things about him, and I heard he was running. So I reached out, told him I supported him, sent him some donations, you know. Um, but we have to bring in these young people that are so well-versed in the issues, and their voices are so powerful. Um, you know, that's one of the problems, I think, with some of my colleagues across the aisle. When they get up and speak, you have to listen. And they speak mm -hmm. in a way, I was here, I'm elected by 70,000 people, the same as you are. And I think because of their race and because of their age, they're like, you know, you don't get to talk to us. And that's what I saw in their hearings the other day. And I just thought, wow, we need to embrace these young people we need to bring them in and lift them up as much as we possibly can because I am a teacher, but I am learning from these young people and I want to keep learning from these young people. And I commit to continuing to support them and lift them up because they are our future. They care about climate change. They care about issues of equality and they care 
care deeply about gun violence. They grew up in it. And we need to listen to those voices. We definitely need to hear them. I'm just wondering if any Republicans are hearing them. And if there is any way that you think that Republicans could be brought on board with common sense. I mean, red flag laws, that's not taking anyone's gun away. It's something very simple. I really think I, I can see I, I I'm I always had this thing where I'm sort of a crowd watcher. You know, if even if I'm at a concert, I, I like to see like how do you tell people really enjoying it? They're going through the motions, and I watch people and I watch their faces, and I can see when he speaks, he's hitting a nerve. I can mm-hmm. see that, and yeah. so the next yeah. thing after that is, are they going? Is that going to make them think? Is right. that going to make them bring that thought around and act? That sometimes you don't have to wait until it happens because a lot of times with my colleagues across the aisle they wait till it happens in their family and then it's a big issue we've got to have empathy we've got to understand how these parents are feeling how these kids are feeling and how these teachers are feeling how the bank tellers are feeling and the grocery the people working in the grocery stores with this gun violence and you can't wait till it happens to see you know we've got to stop this gun gun violence and there is plenty of data out there that shows us exactly what will work. MSNBC just reported to that point, um, before we move to the next subject, that 20% of all American families have known someone in their family who's been mm. hurt by gun violence. And almost the same number have seen someone killed. I mean, that's a terrifying set of statistics. Yeah. It is yeah. getting way too close for home if for sure. When I see about shootings, I now call to say, are you all right to any friend in that jurisdiction? Yeah. Yeah. And one of my college sorority sisters um, founded a charity in um, Louisville. And one of her board members works at the bank, luckily was not at work when it happened. Um, so it's getting really close so that I can now say, I know someone who knows someone who was <laughs> affected by gun violence. And um, I, although I do have a family member who was killed by gun violence. Um, so I, I guess I have a more direct connection as well. Yeah. It's, it's a horrible situation, but yeah. let's move on. Uh, Victor, do you want to start the next segment? Sure. I, well, I mean, I, you, we mentioned just the really absurd rules that are in the Tennessee state legislature. And um, I, I watched that that clip that you were on with um, Phil Williams a couple of years ago on how unfairly the state legislature is, uh, how unfair the state legislature is. And um, just a couple of things. I mean, voice votes called before um, the vote is actually finished. Um, I mean, roll calls deny to require three uh, movements and there are only one or two Democrats on any committee. I mean, these things are so draconian. And, and can you just speak to kind of what you've had to deal with as um, a representative in that body and just how draconian these rules are? Well, yeah, I can start with my experience for sure. Um, 20, when we first had one of the first bad, really bad abortion bills, I stood on the house with my hand raised 45 minutes and they never called on me wow. 45 minutes. But what they did was that picture went around the state, you know, all of the press got a picture of me standing there with my arm raised and, you know, never calling on me. Actually, we had a different speaker at the time, our disgraced speaker, who's now been, has multiple indictments, um, who sat on the floor for three years after all of that, 
and nothing happened to him. He wasn't expelled. And, and, and he said it was because I sat with protesters who were protesting a member we had who was an admitted child molester. He was a teacher and a basketball coach and molested three of his four old basketball players. And it was past statute of limitations and there's a 20 minute reporting of him apologizing to one of them just a few years ago because she was protesting that he was sitting in the legislature as chair of an education committee as someone who had molested young girls. And so um, I, I sat with the protesters in that committee. And so he was, he said he didn't call on me because he was retaliating because I joined protesters. Um, the next, when they got the new speaker in, I was the only member out of 99 to vote against him for speaker. I'm not voting for a Republican speaker. They don't share my values. This particular speaker was instrumental in keeping Medicaid expansion out of our state. He was also in favor of keeping the bust of Nathan Bedford Forrest, and that's Cameron Sexton. And I would not vote for a for him for speaker. And I was given a closet for an office. And they kind of dressed up and painted a closet and I made that my office. And that's during COVID. I couldn't even social distance six feet with a with a guest to my office. And across the hall is the empty member office that just sat there empty for a year before they finally gave me a member office. How, how long has the uh, legislature been supermajority Republican? So um, as I recall, it happened in 2010. Uh, you know, the backlash or blacklash, I would say, you know, with that 2010 after President Obama came in in 2008, that's when 2010 is when we flipped to a supermajority. So, yeah. Wow. It, it's... It, I mean, go ahead, okay, Joel. Well, I, I, I was just going to ask, I mean... Can any of these laws be changed or these rules in the state house be changed? Um, or is there so, any power that you and Democrats can can have and change they have, they have 75 and we have 24. Yeah. Wow. Many of us, many of us voted against the rules, yeah. but we can't beat them. And so one of the rules that I found just particularly heinous was the five minutes on debate. So if a member's mm-hmm. presenting a bill in the well or um, then I have five minutes to question that. And so I'll ask a question. There was one particular, the anti-drag bill. I had uh, one question, I had three short questions. And the first one was, um, they added to the bill, um, male impersonator and female impersonator. And I said, is that defined in the bill? And he said, well, no, it's not defined in the bill, it's defined in the code. I said, well, it's not defined in the code. So tell me where this is defined in the bill. I said, because some women dress as women in drag. And so, you know, give me your definition. He read the bill. I said, you didn't answer my question, you know, and then he read the bill again. So I take Uh 30 minutes, 30 seconds to ask a question. They take four and a half minutes to respond and eat up my time. The first, Hmm. the first time he did it, I sort of, the only time I was allowed in the chamber before the other day, um, I was so frustrated that he was reading the bill again. I channeled Maxine and said, 
reclaiming my time, reclaiming time. And I said it as loudly as I could because he had turned my mic off. And then he gaveled me down for being loud. So um, that's what up against. It's, it seems hopeless and it's so um, terrifying in a way for me to view what's happening to our democracy. But what's concerning me is that Tennessee is basically a role model for other states that have super majorities. And uh, I'm Victor and I are both from Illinois and our neighboring state, Wisconsin, just flipped the Senate to a supermajority where, of course, they can, you know, there's no way that um, they won't override any veto from the Democratic governor. But they're also already talking about impeaching the newly elected justice of the, of the Wisconsin Supreme Court. And they have the power to do it. They have the votes. They have the numbers. So I'm just, I'm concerned about how this plays out on a national basis. And I'm wondering if you have any you know, suggestions about what, what can be done to control these supermajorities. Is it only by voting and changing the makeup? Or is there some way that people, even Republicans who support Republican policies, would say, I don't support shutting down the discussion and yeah. the hearing of other points of view. It will absolutely be, be the people paying attention and standing up and speaking up and the, and the sunlight that poured into those chambers on yes. Thursday yes. when America was watching. If you, yeah. you probably wouldn't notice, but at the beginning when we were just going through the bills, we had more debate than I've seen on that floor in four years. Because they wow. knew America was watching. They'd let everybody speak and um, acted like this was business as usual. But it's not what it usually looks like. They knew they were being watched. But when we got to the hearing, they could not help themselves. They demonstrated a complete and total lack of democracy with the make it up as you go rules and allowing that video. Wow. And so democracy dies in darkness. And we can yeah. pour that sunlight in. And it's going to take people showing up and speaking up and looking at what is happening in their states and how it relates. We feel like Tennessee is the tip of the spear when it comes to these yeah. things. Yeah. And we've had all of the extremist, um, extremist media personalities move here, like Matt Walsh and uh, Tommy Lauren and Candace Owens. And, oh, They've all moved here. Uh, they, ben Shapiro brought the Daily Wire here. I think he still lives in Florida, but the Daily Wire is here. And so immediately when they started that insurrection, um, false idea of what happened, it was picked up by all of those outlets and shared. Mm. It spread very quickly and like wildfire because they're working in concert with each other. So uh, one last question on this about how do you respond? I mean, I, I, we'll put in our show notes um, the report that was, um, I found very compelling about how they were taking voice votes that clearly said, yay. And they would say, oh, the nays have it. And there was no question about who had actually won. And then someone would call for a roll call and they say no, or someone would propose a late amendment. And if it was a Democrat, it was no. If it was a Republican, okay, we'll take the late amendment. So these are not democracy in action kinds of things. But um, I, 
you know, we talk about whether, you know, Michelle Obama said, we suggest, you know, when they go low, we go high. I used to believe that. I'm not so <laughs> sure anymore. I now think that maybe, and, I, and I, I don't know how to phrase it because I don't know exactly what I'd be willing to do, but obviously going high doesn't work. The Republicans yeah. keep on cheating. Uh, you know, the, the Supreme Court is composed of people who shouldn't be there because they jiggered the rules. And so right. what's your reaction? You've lived this in a real life way. Um, yeah. How do you think Democrats should be responding to the abuse of power that's going on? It's really funny because my friends in teaching used to call me Little Miss Law and Order. Um, you know, my, <laughs> my friends FBI and or was FBI, and it was always about you know you can break the rules if you want, but there will be consequences. Yeah. And so you know, went into it knowing there would probably be consequences, maybe, but never did I dream that. And so it's really. It's really, really tricky. And I am terrified for our democracy. And um, it, I, it just, it's about Rep. John Lewis. Sometimes you have yeah. to get in good trouble. And I really feel like that was good trouble and that I was compelled to speak up for my constituents that overwhelmingly on all sides of the aisle want gun reform. And I thought it would be malpractice if I didn't stand up and and bring their concerns to the House mm. floor. So sometimes you might have to break a rule, but if 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 it's done on behalf of the people I serve, my oath is about representing the people I serve. And I feel I was true to my oath. I might not have been true to the House rules, but I was true to the oath that I took. Well, I'm so grateful for your voice. I know our nation is so grateful for your voice. All of the 25 Democratic members in the state house, I know, are doing such phenomenal work. But, um, you know, yesterday, Justin Jones, he was reappointed. It seems like tomorrow, Justin Pearson will be back. Where does the fight go from here? What is what is your goal moving forward for Tennessee? Our goal is just just keep pushing, always stand up. You know, I, um, I'm a teacher. I tend to, you know, go be somebody who does things in a very straightforward, encouraging way. But after, you know, four years of the last guy, mm -hmm. I just like, we have to be honest. We have to call out if somebody's lying, I'm going to call that out and I'm going to say it because not saying it, that's the way with it. And it may not mean much because I'm calling them out, but I just feel like we have to call it what it is. And we have to take it seriously and we need to make sure that that anything that's not democratic and anything uh, that is dishonest, we have to call out. Well, you are an inspiration to all of us, and I hope you will stay in good trouble. I almost wore a good trouble pin today instead of the microphone, but um, <laughs> now I'm sorry I didn't. But I yes, mine today, but we all have one. So. <laughs> Keep it up. You're doing great. And our democracy needs you and the Justins and many others like you. So thank you for doing. The as, job I mean, you're as doing. the protest, my new favorite saying now is no Justins, no peace. <laughs> I love that so much. Yeah. Yeah, it's well, great. Gloria, thank you so much. You are so amazing. Thank you.
absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me on. Well, that was such an amazing episode. I know we always have great episodes of iGen Politics, but I mean, just hearing her speak about what happened, what happened in Tennessee, what's happening in Tennessee, um, just kind of reminds all of us why, just like John Lewis said, we have to get in good trouble because this is what we're up against. We're up against Republicans who are just so shameless in how they run things. And we have to push back against it and expose them. Um, and I think for me, I mean, the one silver lining about all of this is that there's been so much support and and um you know people who have come out and and shown that they're willing to stand up with these um you know the tennessee three and it's just inspiring to see just the number of people who have um offered their um support for gore johnson and the justins um what what, how how are you feeling after this episode well well, first of all i want to ask you i don't know if this is something that students still read but um civil disobedience uh yes yeah well i i I read that i don't know if the people younger than I do read that. It's, <laughs> I mean, it. it was an inspirational thing to me during yeah. the civil rights movement, uh, teaching that there are consequences, but sometimes you have to take those consequences. And in many situations in my life, I've thought about, okay, is this the right thing to do? And am I willing to pay the price mm-hmm. of doing it? And the answer is often yes. Um, I mean, that that's not doing stupid things. You have to you know, take into account what's fair and legal and just and right. But um, it, it, it has yeah. been inspirational, but it is something that is growing. Yeah. The state legislatures that have supermajorities are passing draconian laws. Um, and it's not even politically smart. I mean, look at the results no, of no. all the abortion stuff that's happening. It's killing the Republicans because the American public, Democrat and Republican, yeah. do not support it. And I'm seriously worried about the threats in Wisconsin. Uh, I'm hoping that we will have, uh, as a guest, uh, a representative from Wisconsin or a candidate for Senate whose loss flipped the Senate to supermajority. Yes. Um, yes. And so I, I just think it's something that we have to watch in terms of protecting our democracy. And it's really... This week has been so full of news that it's almost hard oh my gosh. to enumerate. It's not, even, it's not even the end of Tuesday. Oh, gosh. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's hard to believe it's only Tuesday. But, okay, even maybe in the last, let's say, the last five days. I mean, yes, between yes. Tennessee, between the Wisconsin stuff, the Texas. shootings, the abortion decisions, yeah. two conflicting decisions that cannot both become the law of the land because they are totally in conflict with each other. Um, yeah. One would say no, no abortion pill anywhere in the country. And one says 17 states that sued to allow it do get it. Um, yeah. So as to those 17 states, it's irreconcilable. Um, it, there's just so many awful things happening this week um, that I hope that people don't get discouraged that you keep up. I mean, look at the good outcome that happened in Tennessee. I mean, it was a horrible situation and public focus. The fact that the media covered all of this and that they were under the spotlight meant they agreed when the um, Nashville voted to reinstate Representative Jones, they didn't even hesitate to seat him again. 
Of course, now we're and seeing- tomorrow's going to be the same with Justin Pearson, hopefully. Um, hopefully yeah, tomorrow, I think so. But you're seeing what they're doing in terms of committees. They're saying, yeah. oh, he's yep. appointed. He can't have it. Exactly. Even though exactly. other people appointed, I'm sure yeah. Republicans have it. Yeah. did have it. So it, it, it's the, the power of a majority is tyranny. And I'm, I want everyone to really be uh, cognizant of that and to make sure that you never think it's, you're too busy to vote at the local level, and that's for every position. Otherwise, I mean, will be banned by your library yeah. and your schools. I mean, I was going to say yesterday was also just such an amazing force of the power of local elections. I mean, every single one of those commissioners that voted for Justin Jones is um, a local elected official, and they mm -hmm. had people who voted for them um, in the last election. And so going forward, it's like it's sad that maybe we have to resort to that in order to you know reappoint elected officials but those races really matter and those are the people who are doing a lot of these book bannings and and banning drag shows when you know none of that should matter it should be about like we're now living in this really just difficult and strange and, and chaotic moment. And we should be focusing on things like actually passing, like we said on this episode, meaningful gun uh, legislation. Today, there was yet another shooting at another bank in Virginia, three people killed, one injured so far. And it's just every single day we wake up to this new shooting, this new headline. It's like, where is, you know, what are elected officials doing? Why are we sending these people into office if they're just going to be saying thoughts and prayers it's just enraging and um you know we need more people like gloria johnson and, and the jones in the south who are willing to you know stand up for this it's it's all over the country i mean i think having people of character in office yeah. set an example the way the justins and gloria did yeah. not like donald trump not like clarence thomas those are not mm -hmm exactly the kind of character examples you want to have your children see, to have young people see, to see, have young voters. How, yeah. how can you respect the government when you have criminally indicted, twice impeached person as the leading candidate for the Republican nomination? It's, yeah. it's really terrible. And it is only, the laws can only do so much they can be evaded if you don't have the right character. And yeah. so I think that people's character is really something that people have to take into account. You can love Donald Trump's policies. I do not. But I can understand how people do. I don't understand how they can tolerate him being the proponent when he is the hypocrite that he is and doesn't stand for any of the values yeah. that he's pr proposing. So I think that's something that we need to really pay more attention to is the values and character of candidates. Absolutely. I would say that the candidate we just had on or the representative who got elected is one that with a lot of character. Have yes. Character. Yes. Exactly. Um, well, I mean, that that's hopefully our, our hope is knowing that there are, there are people in the South doing the good work, but we need more of them because like she said, I mean, it's 75 to 25. They stand no chance no matter what they try to do. Um, but the only way to switch that is by voting. And, and I hope Democrats too. And I was talking with someone about this this morning. It's like Democrats really need to be putting people, uh, running people against every single one of these Republicans. It's like get in there and, and nominate candidates and, and really make sure that people um, have a Democrat to vote for in these in these races. Um, uh, but it, it is just, I mean, I'm glad Gloria Johnson's there. She is such an, a phenomenal person, I think.
And I hope that our listeners and viewers will send us any information they have about their own local or state yes, legislatures, yes. Uh, you know, whether it's your city council or your state legislature yep. in terms of how they are handling it. And, you yep. know, even a supermajority does not have to shut down debate. Uh, you know, there's, I, I don't know if this is at UCLA yet, but Stanford is had a big problem yeah, with yeah, shutting with, down debate uh, in yeah. college lectures. And I think, we all have to, you don't have to attend the lecture. No one's mandating that you go. If you don't like what the speaker's saying, don't go. But don't mm -hmm. go there to shout him down. Let people hear him. The only yep. way, you know, it it's, goes back to what I learned in college, which is in the free marketplace of ideas, truth will out. And so yeah. you have to be able to hear all the points of view. And then be the best way to rebut something is to know what it is you're rebutting. Right. So right. people need to listen and then, you know, shutting down and not, you know, gaveling down someone, that's not democracy. That's she not has democracy. to be able to yeah. speak. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I can't underscore. I mean, I, I like the idea of, of all of our um, listeners and, and um, people in our audience to send us what's happening in their local government, because a lot of the times, I mean, what Republicans are trying to do, they get away with it because no one pays yes. attention to it. No one finds a light on it. So let us know what they are. If you're in a Republican area. You know, go on your county website, see if there's anything strange happening, and then let us know because we want to raise attention to it and really make sure that everyone knows what Republicans are trying to do on those state and local levels. And and that's why we're talking about Wisconsin is because it's another yeah. state that hasn't gotten the attention it needs yes. and that is in trouble. It's got yeah. a Democratic governor who can be shut down at any moment because yeah. the Senate has a supermajority. And right. so I think it's something that we need to pay attention to. And yeah. I, I, I look forward to hearing from our, our listeners and viewers. You know, you know, the last thing I was, I was going to um, talk to you about, Jill, is I know we're both Chicagoans and I think all of our audience knows that by this, by this point. Um, and, and it's if you know, not by our accents. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but I mean, I, I, 2024 is rolling very, very quickly um, around the corner. And today, um, the we're recording this on Tuesday, it was announced that our hometown will be yes. the um, location of the 2024 Democratic National Convention. I know both of us, we didn't get, have you been to a convention in Chicago? I, now, well, yes, I, I have been to a convention in Chicago in 96 when Clinton was nominated. Oh, Motorola, yeah, yeah. Who, who I worked for, was yeah, one of the yeah. big um, uh, sponsor, I guess would be uh, the right word. Um, but my first convention was in 1976 um, <laughs> when uh, Lindy oh, wow. Boggs was the chair and I was consul to the um, convention. Oh, yes, yes. And so it's a long time ago, but you and wow. I were both cheated out of going. Yes, to because we were we went to a virtual convention. <laughs> yes, we were both elected yeah. as delegates, but because of COVID, there was no convention. It was in Milwaukee, which is, um, of course, where my goddaughter is. And well, that's going to be the site of the Republican National Convention yeah. this year. Well, <laughs> I, I won't be attending that, but um, <laughs> but I, I I do hope that uh, I'll get to go to the Democratic yeah. Convention and uh, maybe run for delegate again. So yes, uh, I'm sure you fun. will too, right? Yes, absolutely. It will be very fun, and we can we can do a little iGen takeover of the convention yeah. um, <laughs> next next summer, which will be very fun. But there was amazing um, improvements, infrastructure improvements yes. made in 1996 uh, for mm -hmm. the convention, 
and they still are benefiting the city now. They mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. did a great job of reinvention. Now, of course, I wasn't here in 1968. Um, I was Eight. just okay, graduating yeah. law school, and that yeah. was the horrible Chicago Convention. Yes, yes. And anybody listening who hasn't seen the movie, The Conspiracy 7 Trial, must watch. It is an amazingly accurate portrayal of a horrendous episode in Chicago's yeah. mayoral bad behavior. Yeah. Um, it, w- it was a horrible. My husband was at Grand Park where protesters were being beaten um uh, or my now husband he wasn't my husband at the time um but yeah uh so chicago has you know that but will be a great convention will be a great time. convention it's great during the summer and i know united i i actually haven't been to the united center in years um but i know part of the reasons because the united center is has so much like there's many great rooms for the press there's many great rooms for caucuses so yes. um for anyone who um, wants to go to the convention, the easiest way you can do so is just by running to become a delegate. It's very, very simple. And uh, you just have to collect, I think, in Illinois, it was about 200 petition signatures, and then you get your name on the ballot, and you can be a part of a moment in history. So thank you, everyone, for uh, tuning into this episode of iGen Politics. We'll be sure, uh, if you want to check out the uh, reporting that we mentioned during the uh, podcast episode we'll post that in our show notes on uh, wherever you follow your podcasts um be sure to follow us wherever you follow your podcasts or right here on youtube.com slash politicon so you don't miss an episode we'll be back next week with another episode thank you all so much for watching and we will see you next week